Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today, we got Dr. Jess Mena on the podcast. We talk about her running experience, also her experience as a physical therapist. In addition to that, she's just an awesome, awesome person to have on the podcast. Some people, I mean, let me just say this. Every single person who comes on this podcast does a great job. It is no question about that. With that said, as you're about to hear, some people take to it like a fish in water, and that's exactly what she was able to do. Uh, sometimes, and I've said this before in some other intros, where it almost sounds like that uh, the guest has had more experience on podcasts than even me, who's done over 600 of these at this point over various uh, over various shows. But she's absolutely fantastic. I have no doubts that you're going to really, really enjoy this episode. But before we get into it, let's give a big shout out to the Eugene Marathon. Do you know what you're doing this spring? I know what I'm doing. May 1st, going to the Eugene Marathon, and I cannot wait. So they have the, the marathon, they got the half marathon as well, they got the 5K, and we're going to be finishing over at Hayward Field. That's right. We're going to track down USA, finishing the race at Hayward Field, and it's just going to be so, so awesome. Not only that, this race is absolutely legit. Almost 30% of finishers qualify for Boston every year. Not only that... It's only two weeks after Boston, which means that if people qualify for Boston, then go to Boston, don't run Eugene the following year. So every year they're getting a new crop of athletes, and then those athletes are qualifying for Boston. And those athletes go to Boston, they get a new crop of athletes, and then those athletes qualify for Boston as well. It really is a magical race, and I cannot wait to go. No matter what time you're shooting for, join me in Eugene. Go to eugenemarathon.com today to learn more. I cannot wait. I was just so, so excited. Uh, with that said, let's get into this podcast episode with Dr. Jess Mena. Jess Mena is here. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so stoked to talk to you today. I'm ready. So do we, do we call you Dr. Jess? No, you just call me Jess. I'm just a normal person. Jess is no, cool. No, Dr. Jess? No, like no. if you're flying, is there a doctor on the airplane? <laughs> No, I definitely do not take. No, 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 no. Like, is this is this a tendonitis emergency? Is there a doctor on the airplane? Yeah, if it's tendonitis for that, I'm totally hands down. Anything else, I go. Oh, it's a physician. I'm not a physician. We have a shin splint emergency. <laughs> there you go. I'm running over. Well, see that there there is there is some like doctor utility there, right? I mean, there it's not like, and I have a and I have relatives who are like doctor like of literature something like you just there just needs to be a different name for that i'm sorry there just has to be there has to be i'm very popular at all um holiday gatherings birthdays i talk to somebody they say you're a physical therapist and then everyone's like oh my god my shoulder my back hurts my knee hurts what should i do so that's where i'm very popular but yeah not airplane rides nothing like that no i mean yeah you must you must get a lot of like unsolicited like i'm not asking you for your help but it's just something weird yada 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 i i would guess as annoying as that could be, I would think that being a dermatologist would be the worst for that. You think so? Dermatologist? Like, I got a weird thing on my skin under here. Do you mind taking a look? As opposed to, like, I have a shoulder injury. As opposed to, like, is this thing a thing? Like, should I get that checked out? You would be surprised how many people don't look at their skin. I'll have, you know, I, I mean, I 
in, in the most normal way, I, you know, I tell people to undress, like, take your shirt off, pull up your pants, so I can see, whatever. And I'm like, did you notice you have, like, a scaly mole on your back? And they're like, no idea. So I've actually caught a few, like, potential skin cancer cases in the clinic because no one looks at themselves naked in the mirror. I think people should start doing that. There you go. See, we can just stop the pod here. <laughs> just stop. Shots fired. Coming out hot. Dr. Jess Mena is here. Look at yourself in the mirror, people. This is this is how we're going to solve problems. Runners, wear your sunblock, and you need to do a skin check on a weekly basis. Protect your skin. There you go. See, I like that. See, it's funny. Like, I actually got a little sunburn today. It was like the winter time. I was out there running. It was super sunny. I had my long run. And it was like, oh wow. my god! But what? How? How warm is it, or cold is it over there right now? Well, that's the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't incredibly warm. It was. It was beautiful. It was perfect running weather. It was. You know, it was forty-one degrees when I started, and like forty-six when I finished. But it was also sunny. So like forty-one feels like fifty-one when it's sunny. See, it was eighty-five degrees out here today, and it was perfect. Well, see, you ran CIM. So you know what 41 feels like. Oh, yeah, you were there. It was terrible. For me, I I didn't like it. It was too cold. Well, it was also like no sun. And in the beginning, there was a little drizzle. Yes. That was a really hard one for me. That that course is really tough. I really underestimated CIM 100%. Well, they they don't do people a lot of favors with like their elevation chart on their website. That's exactly what I looked like. I looked like a negative, you know downhill course and you go there and it's never-ending rolling hills so i don't know they need to advertise a little bit different i signed up for it again for a redemption because i was so like mentally not prepared for that oh wait, let's just let's just, we'll talk about what you do you ran very well all right so we got not like, <laughs> redemption with a with a lowercase r i'm assuming <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yes. But I, I would have wanted to finish a lot stronger, like mentally, like, yeah, I did it. Let's go party. And I finished dead. Like, I'm ready to go on the plane. Let's go home. I can't. I can't walk. I know. I heard you were going to party wicked hard after that race. You're going to be at the state capitol on the steps doing all sorts of stuff. I didn't see you out there doing it. I didn't. I really, that was my, that was the goal. I think for the speed project, that's the goal. We're going to get lit right after we're done. We're going to be in Vegas and it's going to be insane. Yeah, so I was, I was comparing. I can't remember if this was on the podcast or I was just talking to someone like offline. Um, but the the race elevation chart that you get at the California National Marathon website, it kind of looks like if you're on Strava on the um, like on their website, not on their phone, but if you're like on the website and then you look at like you know your you look at like um, you know basically you you do the analysis right, the analysis of your run, and you can choose like sm- the smoothed version. Or like the lap version and all this, you have these options. And like I think that like CIM elevation chart on their website is like the smooth version of Strava. Like it, it definitely like eliminates the peaks. And here's the thing. And if you go back, if you're on Strava, you can go like check out like what your gap pace is for CIM. And it proves that it's actually like more impactful of an uphill than a downhill because your gap pace is faster than your actual pace, which means that the uphills had more of an impact on your run than the downhills did. Which is crazy. But you don't hear that. But we're here trying to tell the people the truth. It's not a reason not to run the race, but don't assume that you're on this 2% decline the whole way because you're not. No, definitely. You're people, you are not. Sign up for this. Go train some rolling hills. Do some trail running. Because those hills were creep up. You know that bridge at towards the end? It's like mile 20, 
21. Dude, I've seen your race pictures on that bridge. You look fresh <laughs> as a daisy. So whatever you're going to say, I want to invalidate it before you even start. No, the pictures are deceiving. There's video. I, I didn't even like know there was a photographer there. Struggling. The fact that you even saw the photographer proves that you were like in a pretty decent state of mind. Oh my gosh. No, those were my friends. Shout out to Blacklist. There's a We had our team photographer go out there and he set up camp and he caught those pics. But that's all. I just pretend. I just I was acting. I was acting like I was happy, like, yeah, but I, I was dying. I, after that, I will admit, my last two miles from mile 21 to 23, I walked almost half a mile. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. The course is kind of like if, if someone was going to run it, and they're like, all right, but I thought it was downhill. Like, it'd be like, okay, imagine if you did like a 40-foot hill, mm-hmm. and then you did a 45 to 50-foot like downhill afterwards. Like, that is technically a net downhill, but the uphill is more taxing than the downhill is relieving in that scenario. So you have to train for this race as if it's not a downhill race. Correct. Yes. I'm ready for December. And here you go. So you're, you're getting ready for it. So did, you, so did you train for it as if there were going to be hills? No. I really thought it was like Mountains to Beach. You know, I don't think you've heard of Mountains to Beach, but no, Mountains I, to absolutely. Beach. Yeah, there definitely. you go. Okay. So I was like, this is going to be like Mountains to Beach, but not that much of a downhill. It's going to be relative like that. And that's what I thought it was going to be like. And it's too bad because like, I, mean, I see you like doing all this trail running, like after CIM. It's not as if you didn't have access to hills, like they were there the whole time. No, I was just traumatized after that. I was like, I never want to experience this again. And I need to be ready for whatever comes my way. So CIM changed my life. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, well, let's, let's talk about this because you did have, you know, comparatively speaking to like previous marathons, you did PR in the race. You did have a time that was definitely like, you know, I think fairly close to what you're hoping for, right? I mean, or, or, or am I wrong here? I was going for a 318. I ran a 322. My last marathon in 20, ooh, 2019, I ran a 326. So I was really going for the 318 um, and I had been training, but I had, I had just ran Boston and I ran Boston injured. And so I only had a few weeks of training. So I was actually pretty happy that I was able to run a PR considering how difficult it was and coming out of an injury. I can't complain. I can't complain. All right. Let's talk about that because you were a doctor of physical therapy. You're running <laughs> yeah. a marathon injured. This reminds me of like why therapists need therapists in the sense. Yes. So, so as someone who has well-versed in this topic, you have an injury, you have a marathon coming up. How much are you basically like self-advising as opposed to hearing out other people or, you know, what, what, what is that process for someone in your position as you're about to make a series of impactful decisions heading into a big race? It's very stressful. So I think when I'm in the therapist's shoes and it's somebody else, it's easier for me to say, hey, this is probably not a good idea. Let's, you know, let's back off on the running, blah, 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 do your rehab. When I'm the runner, it's completely different. When I put my running shoes on and I'm thinking like a runner, it's very hard for me to listen to myself. So I actually do need other people. Like my coach is the one that told me, you know, this is like, you can't go into Boston and go with your plan anymore. Like our plan completes. You're not going for PR. Like you shouldn't be running this much. Um, I think I know what to do and I do my best to try to integrate everything that I advise other people to do. Um, but it's really difficult. And I think most runners go through that. 
what even if you are a therapist or not, like trying to do all the right stuff is really time consuming and extremely difficult. Um, especially if you have a full-time job and if, you know, you're stacking in 40, 50 miles a week, like where do you fit in all these things? So what was your injury? I had a hamstring strain and that I've had that hamstring strain on and off for about a year. Those things don't go away, huh? They don't go away. They, it's actually one of the, the injuries that actually takes the longest. Um, I don't think I've had a, like a serious runner who had a pretty severe hamstring injury rehab and recover from it within a year. It almost can take up to two or three years just because it's, you know, you'd have to stop completely for months. And most people, including myself, are not really willing to do that. They kind of just rehab along the way, get better a little bit. And, you know, you plateau and then it gets better and then it gets worse, goes away, comes back. So. And I'm going I'm to just say it right from the start. Like, I'm obviously pretty naive about a lot of this stuff. Um, but when I think about hamstring injuries, I usually default to kind of explosive sports or sports that are multidirectional, right? Where I don't, I don't usually think of like long distance endurance running as a place for someone to injure a hamstring. Maybe it's like they get into it and they injure someone doing something else and they try to come back and like, you know, it lingers as they go through their endurance stuff. So how did, how did you hurt your hamstring and how common is it of an injury? It's actually pretty common in runners. Um, it, most of the time, it'll kind of spur up as like butt pain and people think it's piriformis syndrome, like, oh, you've pulled your butt. But it's uh, most runners have a very high hamstring tendonitis. Oh, he's right. I do, I do hear about that all the time, right? I was thinking more lower hamstring. Okay, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I would say the root problem tends to be most runners in general are not very strong. They don't have power. So when you're doing like a speed workout, and you're going really fast, right? You're doing 5K pace, 10K pace, 800s. That's usually when people start, they first hurt their hamstring and then they do their long run. So they don't, doesn't necessarily heal. So it becomes a problem, inflamed, chronic tendinosis. That's how usually hamstring strains like that occur. Lower hamstring stuff, I think you're right. It's more like the sprinters and multidirectional athletes that get more of the lower hamstring stuff. But high hamstring, I would say it's a little bit more common with runners or low, 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 like behind the knee. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, I know Sarah Bishop, who's been on this show many times, has dealt with that high hamstring issue for a long time. Um, that's, you know, people who know her know she, you know, she doesn't mess around, but it's, um, yeah, that, that does get tricky, right? Because then you want to, you want to, you want to keep working through it. So here you are, you have that hang over your head, you run Boston. So what's the calculus for you to then turn around and decide not only to run CIM, but to put in a full go effort? Um, I think right after Boston, I totally didn't do anything for two weeks, nothing, zero, which I hadn't done in a long time. Um, no biking, no running, nothing. It was just stretching, icing and strengthening, which I think that was probably maybe a good foundation for me to go into training. And then training, I think I had good base work from running Boston itself. So I didn't have to focus too much on the, on the long stuff. And then it was like, Honestly, I really just kind of easing my way um, and trying to push where I could and knowing to back off. Even if I couldn't finish my workout, I wouldn't finish my workout. So I'm actually surprised. I, I attribute my PR, I think, from 2020 
all of 2020 that I didn't race, I kept running during COVID and I actually feel like I got fitter during 2020. And I think that's kind of what got me through all of 2021 with um, the races that I had towards the end of the year. Had I, had I not ran pretty hard in 2020, I don't think my running performance would have been as great as it was, I think, in 2021. This is a great point. It's something that we talk a lot on this podcast about not only with with guests, but just my own experience with the marathon, where it seems like your current marathon cycle, um, let me put it this way. If someone's training for a 5K, the preceding two or three months is really that mixed with like your genetics, because 5K can be more explosive an event, um, can really tell the whole story for a lot of people, as long as they're going into it with, with the base level of fitness. Whereas the marathon can really harken back to so many previous cycles building upon each other where you have these people who like will go through a cycle and maybe it's truncated for a variety of reasons. Like maybe they just like hopped into a race with two months notice or they had an injury or they had family stuff or, you know, they you know, for a, name a reason. It seems like that you can have a truncated cycle, but if you've had cycles before that, that were successful, that the marathon can be, you know, can still be a really good event for you, even if you didn't crush it during the preceding two months. That's how I feel. And that's kind of historically, that's how I've always really worked. I mean, um, I ran cross country in college and I think like my best year was my senior year, but I think it was just like the prior seasons of running. And then each year I just got a little bit more serious. Same thing with marathon. I think that's why I like the marathon is I can grind for a long time and results will eventually happen. I don't do well with short term plans. I've done the whole, let's do, you know, two, 12 weeks of training and we're going to go for a PR. It's never worked for me. It's always been like, it's been six months of training. I always had this marathon in the back of my head. Um, and that kind of plan has worked the best for me. So I agree with the whole like previous training cycles kind of building up and adding on to each other. And I think that's what's at least helped me the most. Right. Cause in, I remember, I remember when Rebecca Mara came on here. And was talking about, this was a couple months ago. It was, shoot, a couple months ago. It's like over a year ago now. Um, She's awesome, by the way. Unbelievable, right? Oh, love her. And we were talking about how like the the mile, which is her specialty, or you know, 1,500 mile, whatever. Um, either way, it was like, it's 87% aerobic. And you think of running the mile, you think of like, you know, you're redlining the whole time. So if like yeah. you're, <laughs> if that race is 87% aerobic, then like, what are the races we're talking about? Right, right? Exactly. And it's like, well, how, how do you build up your aerobic fitness well, it's not a six-week journey. No, not even close. And I think that's what's hard for people to understand. I have I, most of the people that reach out to me are more like the newer novice runners who are doing the twelve-week training plan, and they have this like crazy PR goal. In the back of my head, I'm like, uh, I don't know about that, but I'm not going to tell you that. Well, because... Jess, they have that. They have the, <laughs> they have the pace calculator, and they did the five k at this pace. So now the marathon is is they're just going to knock it down. They're just, I think that's this expectation. And I'm like, wow, you really have no idea how strenuous this is on your body. And for you, anyone, elite, non-elite, for you to hit a PR, it takes everything to do it. And I think, of course, if you're, I met some people who are just genetically gifted and they can run 730 pace for 12 miles and they've never run in their life. And you're like, what? Right. And the thing is with those people, and it's like counterintuitive when you think like, oh, those are the people who are probably really fast. No. It's like the people who can do that for a long period of time are the type two athletes. Yeah. They're not the people who 
you know, who ran track in high school and they, they then they played football or, you know, field hockey or lacrosse and were the fastest people on their team. Then they pick up marathon and can just go. No, it's the other it's the other end of the spectrum. It's the people who have that, like, they're just loaded with, with the slow twitch muscle fibers. So then all of a sudden they pick this up and there's like, oh, I need to go only 75% of my VO2 max. I can do that all day, man. Right. I'm kind of jealous of those people. I don't know why. I think I've, I've been running my whole life, 20 years. I started, I ran my first marathon at 12. And Whoa, okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> and I bust my ass every day, week in and week out. To just hit, you know, like 322 for me is like, this is amazing. But kind of knowing my history and how long I've been running and at some point being really competitive in college, you were like, you're only running a 322? And I'm just like, I I just, I think it might not genetically be in, in my favor. I just push it as far as I can. Jess, I just disagree. You I just so? so strongly disagree. Absolutely. You know what? Maybe. I'm going to tell, uh, I do think that there are, obviously, I think there's got to be so many things in place for you to achieve greatness, you know? Um, and, you know, I think time is of the essence. I don't have enough time in general, but I think if I, maybe if I did have more time to really train super seriously i probably would have a shot um i mean i'm still going for it all right let me put it this way you're doing you're doing great i mean right so you were like you thought you're gonna run a 318 off of bear off of boston and off of a hamstring injury I mean, obviously you're doing amazing things so i'm not throwing sh- any shade here like you're you're doing absolutely <laughs> amazing things but there's no way you're tapped out i mean let me put it this way if you're running 40 mile weeks at the high end Mm-hmm. which is great. And if for someone's a busy person, congratulations, right? If you can stack those on each other, great. I just like, again, everybody's their own Petri dish here with all of this stuff. But it was just like, just look, I'm just thinking about like, there was a time where I viewed like 40 mile weeks as like the vanguard. Like if I can hit in the 40 mile weeks, for some reason I view that as like, this is the best. Like this is exactly where I want to be. That's like what, what really good runners do. And then, like, so I just kind of, like, capped myself in the 40s for no, I can't, no legitimate reason. I don't even know why I had that. But, and again, the, you know, time crunches can affect us all. You know, two kids, full-time job, all that. But then over the last six weeks, I was just like, you know what? I don't know why I had that belief. So I just, like, screw it. I'm just going to run more, right? So I had enough time. And I've been in the 50s and actually hit a 60-mile week a couple weeks ago. that's the best. Jess. Yeah, so let me tell you this. Over the <laughs> last me. month, mm-hmm. over the last month, so I ran CIM just like you did. I ran 419, 419 at CIM, uh-huh. okay? I was walking a lot in the last six months. This week, again, packing those 50s together, it's like a whole new world. Like my, the the the, the, the ability, my, my, this podcast is not about me. We're gonna get back to just in a second. But no, I, love, I, I, love I just want to say, good. I just want to say like the the amount that I've improved in the last five weeks, mm-hmm. running more miles has skyrocketed. Like today, I ran 16 miles and I finished the last half of it. All of the miles were in the sevens. I had like a, a seven minute flat mile in there. I had a bunch of 720s in there. Again, put this in perspective. I ran a 419 marathon two months ago. Right. So for me, it was like, as soon as I started upping the mileage, I was seeing immediate benefits that far exceeded what was what I was getting before. 
I will say this, um, since you mentioned it, I think that I'm, that was one of the reasons why I did good. My coach had me, I was at 50 miles for three weeks, 60 for two. And that 50 to 60 was the sweet spot. 100%. I feel like, oh, wow, I've never, never hit 60 before in my life ever. And I was actually nervous. I'm like, sure, I think I can do 60. Like, but it was really hard for me. I mean, I had to like wake up at 6 a.m., do half of the run, go to work, come back from work, do another run, and then do on top of that. So I think that was oh, the so you hardest do, thing. You had to do doubles to do it. You weren't even doing singles. I have like my schedule. I think that's what's kind of limit. I'll be honest. I hope my boss is not hearing this. Oh, but tell, I feel tell me like- the schedule because this is important because so many people are handicapped by this. I'm lucky because the podcast has taken off, I do have a much more flexible work situation than many other people do. So I don't want to act like my situation is the same as other people's. So you have a very busy schedule. So let's talk about this. It's super, I don't like, I hate it. So my schedule is 7.30 or 8. It depends on the day to 5. Now, half of the year here in California, we have the time change. So at 5 p.m., it's dark AF. Okay, it's 6 o'clock here and it's pitch black. So it becomes a safety issue just because we've had an influx of, you know, assaults on women in L.A. and all that stuff. So even in where I I live at 6 a.m., you go out and there's a whole bunch of, you know, people out, uh, suspicious people. And you go, oh, my gosh, am I going to be safe running here? So I have maybe an hour before work to get whatever I need done and then an hour after work. And that's probably my peak unless I drive out an hour down to the city and try to run with a club. Right. And driving and, and commuting back and forth for two hours is not ideal. It's not. And so it's it was hard. So I, the summer, that's why I tend to like to race closer to the summer because I tend, my training really changed and my miles up a lot in the summer because we have long days. The sun doesn't go down until 7.38 p.m. So I will get miles in, a lot of miles in, in the summer. And so I'm excited about that. But yeah, it's hard having a full-time job. And I know it's 40 hours, but you have to add the commute. Sometimes the patient shows up late. I have to still stay and see the patient. So, you know, like uh, it, my whole training is, I think, not optimal because it's really based around like my work schedule. And that's really hard to manage. So how does that affect race selection then? I would think then that you would probably be more positively predisposed to having a lot of your big races like late summer, early fall, since that's when you can really do a lot of your bulk training. Obviously, it's super hot then, but at least you're getting in the miles you want to get in. Right. Which is why I think I did okay with Boston. I mean, I ran a 348 with a pretty big injury, but I was like, yeah, but I was training my ass off in the summer. So I think I was able to stay at a steady eight, eight twenty pace the whole time. Um, and I think that again, that carried me through towards winter, but most of my, I think my successful training really comes, um, from March all the way up until September, August. And then after that, it kind of goes down a little bit. But you're a, doctor of physical, you're a doctor of physical therapy. You're a big proponent of being a strong, athletic person, which is obviously a benefit to any athlete in any sport. You got the Peloton bike over your shoulder there that I can see. <laughs> this is an audio podcast, but we can see each other. Um, yeah. So how do you utilize cross-training if, as you just mentioned, there are times when getting in the miles can be tricky for a variety of different reasons. That that doesn't mean necessarily that you, you're not as equally active as you are at other times of the year. 
Right. I think when it, like in the winter right now, I'll do a little bit more cross training. So on my days off, my rest days, which is I'm not supposed to do any running. I always get on the bike. And those are the days that I do my strength training. Um, I actually don't strength train as much as people think. I think people think that I strength train every day. I was like, nah, three days a week is a lot. And that's tops. And then that lunch at work, 10 minutes a day, I'll do band work, which is everyone's basics. But You get a 10-minute um, lunch? Well, I have, an, I have a 45 to an hour minute lunch, but I told, you know, you know what? People didn't understand. This is the one thing. I love what I do. And I think I was born to serve other people, but it can be very um, draining. Mm, yeah, for sure. You know, imagine uh, seeing 50 people a week and they're all in pain and all you want to do is help them. And they're like crying, upset, they're angry, they're in pain. And you go in there and you try to be a hero. It can be at lunch. I literally, I'm like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about anything. Well, you're also part therapist. You're not just physical therapist. People like, I remember I've had, I've had some serious injuries. So I can recall my moments with my physical therapist who've all been fantastic people. And I think in part because they are fantastic people. They they basically doubled as my, you know, like my psychotherapist in addition to my physical therapist. It's true. I've had patients. I've had, I've heard it all. I've had super deep secrets, marital problems, kid problems, kid mad at their parents, high school drama. That's my favorite. I love working with high school kids because I ask about the drama. I'm like, what's going on this week? They're like, well, this girl told me they like me, you know. And it's funny hearing about that stuff, but it gets, it can get really serious, you know, people, you know, relatives dying, stuff happening, happening. It's just, and you kind of just listen and you go, you take it in, you try not to, you know, make any comments that are inappropriate or unsupportive and you just listen. It's a lot of listening. And then you go, wow, this is, this is heavy stuff. Listening and like, all right, that's 30 seconds. Next leg. Yeah. (laughs) and I do multitask. They'll say something really deep. And I'm like, oh, you have four reps left. But continue, continue. Four reps left. Go, go, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. All right. So how do you decide what to do with your body? Not, And I'm, I'm taking this part out of the, um, like, your hamstring injury. Like, taking that part out. Like, you know every exercise for literally every single joint and muscle out there. And you know how, how beneficial they can all be. But I feel like you must be the person who is like, I'm trying to like make a comparison here. Like, say like the person who like finishes a marathon and is super hungry, walks into the Cheesecake Factory, sees 10,000 things on the menu is like, oh my God, I don't even know where to begin with making decisions here. Like, how do you decide what to do with your body from a strength, from just a general strength perspective and performance perspective? Um, it is overwhelming at usually what's worked for me is I always say, well, I kind of need a little bit of everything. So I'll actually just go to the a regular gym and take like a whole body class. And that's kind of how I do it. So the problem is if when you know too much, it's very hard. It's very hard to do stuff for yourself because it is overwhelming. Um, I can't like relate. I, I don't know much about anything. This is t- tell tell <laughs> so me like, more about this. <laughs> so if I'm like I I didn't go to the gym today, stay at home, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what I have to work on? I'm like, I have to work on my core. I have to work on my arms. I have to work on my glutes. I have to work on my hamstring. <sighs> like it's too much. I'll kind of stick to the basics. I always tell myself, and I tell a lot of people, basics are the best. You don't need fancy 
crazy type of exercises to get the job done. So I usually stick to the basics, squat, lunges with weight, a lot of planks, side planks, push-ups, rows. And that's usually my go-to because I'm like, you can never really go wrong with that. And a lot of single leg exercises to work my balance. But for me, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. It's overwhelming. So I tend to go to the gym and do like a whole body strength class. And if I think something's like suspicious, like, oh, this, this look, this is a really bad exercise. I'll modify it myself <laughs> in the class, but <laughs> I don't tell the trainer. I'm just like, yeah, you're doing great. This, this is awesome. What, what would it be? A, what would be an example of a bad exercise? I'm like trying to imagine like someone being like, no, throw your dumbbell in the air. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, like what. sometimes I think it's more phrasing. So they'll say like, this is for your rotator cuff and they do something silly. And I'm like, that's not for your, your rotator cuff. So in my head, I'm like, well, I'll do a rotator cuff. I'll just add a band or something like that. But um, no, nothing too crazy. Or you'll just see it's if there's five people in the class and they're not paying attention to their clients and their needs are going in and out. I can't have to really just be tunnel vision because I'll try to correct everybody. Just I can't. I can't look. I just focus on myself. I can imagine looking in that mirror and seeing a wide disparity of techniques <laughs> and being like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. It, it, you ha- I have to shut my brain off. And I'm going to say, no shade on the instructor. They can't stop every single person and advise, even if they know everything. They can't just stop a class and be like, all right, you 12, stop. You're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> but I feel like I want to. I'm like, should I tell this lady something? Like, oh, no, don't do it. Don't say anything. I can see. It's funny because, I mean, that's all I do. I might train my eyes. Like, even, okay, anyone walking on, down the street, Disneyland. I love going to Disneyland just to watch people walk because I go, wow, wow, what's going on here? This gate is so out of whack right now. Or run when we go running in groups and I stare at if people. If you see like, Jess oh. Mena standing behind you looking <laughs> intently at your gate, yeah. be worried. Be, I'm going to catch something. Like, I really love observing. And I, in general, like people watching and socializing anyway. So it's just funny how I catch things. They're like, oh, yeah, my shoulder hurts. And I was like, yeah, because you're slouched. Your head's forward. Swing your arm. You got to get your shoulders back. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I watched you run for like a mile. Oh, my God. That reminds me. I was trying to remember. I think it was... Natural Born Heroes. It was a, the Chris McDougall book, um, Not Born to Run. It was one of the later ones where he's he's oh, meeting, yeah, with, yeah. meeting with the team physical therapist. And he has um, – so there's a member of the team who basically mimics what he is standing like. So basically said, hey, stand with perfect posture. He's in like – you know, I think basically big boxers and maybe in a tight shirt, right? So basically – so he can they can see his whole body in action. So like, hey, stand with perfect posture. And then – the the teacher then talks to I think his number two and she and he basically is telling her like all right no he's using all these like lingo words of like what to do with different body parts and she's doing this kind of like choreographed like movement and all of a sudden she's he's like okay stop so she stops and she's like standing a certain way and people who cannot see this see I'm I'm trying to mimic this situation um so he, he's looking at her and he's like why is she slumped over like that? Why is she looking like that? That's so weird. And, no and then the, the teacher looks at him and goes, that's how you look. Yes. That's how you're standing. And he's like, what the hell? Like, yeah, what's going think, on here? I think everyone, everyone just thinks like, that's just how the way I, that's the way I am. I, I, or people are just, they have never paid attention to that, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I love, I love people watching for that reason. It's, uh, I can't stop. It just, I don't think that's ever going to stop. All right. So let's talk about the speed project. You're going there in six weeks. Tell people what this is, because I think this is a fascinating endeavor. 
Okay, guys, this is a crazy ass relay. It is unsupported, unsanctioned. There's just no the hashtag is no spectators. But anyways, um, it is a relay race that starts in Santa Monica at the pier, and we run all the way to Vegas, 390 miles. And the goal is to get there as fast as you can and beat whatever team or whatever record is on on the on the list. So you're on segways. How are you getting there? <sighs> no segways. So <laughs> so we're renting an RV. My team is made of 10. We're renting an RV. Um, and each runner has either three, well, anywhere between three to five miles segments. And then we have, you have to like physically tap each other before the next person can go. So the RV will kind of, the plan is the RV drives off and meets you at the next checkpoint so we can do a run transfer. Um, is it honor system or are there checkpoints there? Everyone makes the transition. I, no, I think from what I understand, I, we, we, I won't even know until two days before how this works. It's that crazy. But from what I hear, it's they use Strava. Mm. So you have to be on the Strava and they, they follow each team on there to see where you're at, who's first, second, third, fourth place, all that stuff. So how did you get involved? Who are you running with? And what are you doing to, to make this as good of experience as possible? Okay. So I first learned about uh, TSP in 2018 or 19. I was like, a few of my friends in LA were doing it. And I'm like, what is this? I was trying to find information. It's, oh, it's so many, it, it, it's so ambiguous. There's nothing on the internet about it. It's just like Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And still there's no information. So the way I got in, and I've always, I told myself, this is badass. Who's doing this? How do I get involved? Um, and, and it's always the, super cool people. You find out, like you watch it afterwards. Popular, you're like, it's like celebrities, like the run celebrities. Yeah, you're like, how did how did this happen? <laughs> like I remember hearing about it through Strava because there was a Strava team. And then I remember Tracksmith was there. Adidas oh, they had did a, a team. whole thing. Tracksmith did a whole thing about it. Like all the huge people. And of course, I have like, I'm obsessed with running. So of course, I'm like, how do I, I want to do this. How do I get involved? So I don't know how this happened this year. I think I had told, I've been pretty vocal about how I've always wanted to do the speed project. And one ex participant sent me a name and he said, if you want to do it, you got to text this person. And I was like, so you're not even going to say the name, are you? You're just going to keep it on the low? No, I can't. I'm not going to because <laughs> I, to me, it was so secretive. And so I was like, who is this person? So I messaged him and he's like, it's oh, Lauren you want to do it? Lauren Fleshman. <laughs> Everyone DM. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And um, he, I, it was almost like an interview. Who gave you my name? Oh. Okay, I'm going to send you some questions. You have to answer these questions and we will select to see if your team is selected for this. It was so secretive. And I'm like, wow, I think I've just joined a cult and I think I like it. Are you going to get kicked out for even talking about this? Are we, do we have, to, we have to hold this podcast until <laughs> no, after the speed project? I don't, I don't think so. Maybe I'm totally <laughs> wrong and everyone's just like busting my chops over here. I have no idea. Uh, but I thought I was like, okay, we got in. We, I got the acceptance letter. We got in. I was like, okay, great. It was initially going to be an, an all-women six-person team. Um, but I think, I think Whoa, the ladies, six people. So you guys were going to rack up the miles. Holy cow. Oh, we were going, we we're going to do 60 miles per person. Oh. And I was ready, but I think some of the ladies, there were kind of, a few of them were injured. And so they were nervous. And I was like, well, we got the application like 
let's just, let's do this. So I made it a 10 person team. So it's a little bit doable. It's going to be a little bit more fun, 30 to 40 miles. Um, if everything goes right, if no one gets COVID and no one gets injured, it's 30 to 40 miles. I love how you're just breezing through that. Just a cool 30 to 40 miles. Just cool 34. I could do it. I'm excited about it. So I think it'll be fun. But um, I think if I do it, if and when I do it in the future, I would probably want to be on a six person team. And I would want to, I want to cry out there. I want to suffer a little bit. I think that would be cool. Are you always so masochistic or is it just <laughs> around this event? No, I think it's this event. I feel like the, I mean, Blue, I don't, you know about Blue, right? He's like the pretty popular coach trainer out here. No, I can't say I am. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I will send you his name. You should probably interview. He's a very interesting character. He's worked for Nike. I, it, from what I hear, I don't know him personally. He runs like a pretty prestigious camp or coaching group. Uh, anyways, he ran it first in 2016, I think. And I think the record for a six-person team is, oh, don't quote me, guys, either 26 or 36 hours. I want to say it's 36 hours. Wow. Yeah. That's incredibly fast. If you think about like, hey, if you ran a 100-mile race and you break 24 hours, that's an enormous accomplishment. We're talking 360 miles in 36 hours, which is basically just absolutely flying. They're flying. They're flying. So I remember seeing a video and the people, the guys were like running six minute miles, five, the girls, five minute miles, just like nonstop. And I was like, okay, I don't think our team's going to do that. We're not going for a record, but we're going to run as fast as we can and try to get to Vegas and party. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to be, throw a nap in there at all or (laughs) <laughs> is it just gonna be are you just gonna run to like you're just gonna run to like the win and just be like all right bottle service yeah we're just gonna run into the win i mean i think i have i've had a few people recommend that when it gets towards night time after 12 hours we should probably run in blocks meaning half of the people will run through the night so that some people can sleep for five hours and then the other block will run the rest of the way so I heard that's helped. So the, at the beginning, it's like one through 10 and then five and five. So we'll see. I guess I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it kind of depends like who's getting, who's able to actually recover, right? Because you might be like, hey, this is the plan. But then like someone's like, I haven't slept in 24 hours and I've run 20 miles. You're like, well, then maybe you need to chill here. Yep, exactly. And not to mention, it's like incline going from LA up into Lancaster into the desert. It's an incline. So it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. I don't it, at all, but, um, I think it would be, it's gonna, definitely going to tap into our souls a little bit for a few people, I think. And it gets hotter. The, the, east, the more East you go, the hotter it gets, man. Like I shoot, I remember like, I mean, we, I spent a summer out there and it was like, we lived in Coronado for six weeks. Then we lived in Poway for six weeks. And it was like two complete, wasn't that far away from each other, two completely different ecosystems. I know. And I don't know how the Mojave Desert's going to treat us, but I have a feeling it's going to be hot for some of it. But I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm all for it. I'm ready. I love it. I love it. All right. Speaking of you're ready, you are, as we mentioned many times here, and as the degrees over your shoulder indicate, you're a doctor of physical therapy. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up some stuff. You recently had, a, you, you're great on Instagram for a variety of different reasons. One of the things that you do is that occasionally you put a little educational post in there about a variety of different 
ailments that are common in the running set, that's for sure. So it's nice to have a physical therapist who is very familiar with running, not only in terms of the patients they see, but in terms of the activities that they do. So Jess, shin splints. Let's talk about shin splints. Gosh, we all Common thing. First of all, let's talk about how how does someone know whether or not they have shin splints. It seems like it seems like just determining whether or not you have it or don't have it seems to be a problem with this one. Yes, I would say the most common type of shin splints is what we call medial tibial stress syndrome. So it's like on the inside of your shin. Um, and that's, if you have it, it's, it usually presents like a stabbing pain. It's very, very sharp stabby pain. With each step you take, it can get worse. And actually, if it's bad enough, it'll limit you from running. Um, sometimes you get some swelling or bruising around the area, but typically speaking, that's how it feels. You have a sharp pain in your shin. All right. Let's talk about how people can proactively, no, as we do the opposite, we're going to go the other way. <laughs> that <laughs> say someone has shin splints, right? They're, di- they're just diagnosed. They know that they have it. Oftentimes you see people immediately rush to the ice packs on the shins. It's kind of like the common Yeah, the common thing. That's the common thought, but that's that's the image that people see in their mind when they think of shin splints. But you're the doc. What are the the best ways to, to help cure someone of shin splints? If they already have shin splints, most of the time, the first thing I do is like I look at their gait. They tend to be heel strikers. It's just way more stressful on the shin anyways. And they tend heel strike and then they pronate too much. So it just pulls on the tip, the posterior tip tendon on the tibia. So when I have it, I always say, okay, first we got to strengthen pretty much your foot. Your foot has to be able to absorb the impact a lot better. If not, this is never going to go away. Um, If they're a heel striker, I don't, I actually never really change gait unless it's becomes a really chronic problem. Um, stretching calves, super common. Um, usually the big toe is stiff. So calf toe stretching, and then a lot of calf strengthening. Um, so usually what happens is the shin splints is essentially the posterior tib muscle is kind of like pulling off of the bone. And it's because your calf muscle is, doesn't have the endurance to handle the load for a long period of time or long miles. So a lot of people will kind of show fatigue with um in the calf muscle so i always say if you can't lift your heel up single leg heel raise 30 times and it's not easy you need to start doing heel raises everybody should be doing heel, calf raises all right i can't do that so but yeah, i did to. i did 22 and 24 today on my two legs yeah 30 i always say for that i think in in like if you go to school on paper it's 20 but i'm like those are normal people that don't exercise that's 20 i think a runner should be hitting 30 40 easy so that's good to know the the big toe stretch i have done that i have found that to be really useful with that said i can imagine how that could also aggravate someone if they have like potential plantar pain down there and i know plantar plantar persuasion is something that 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 a lot of people work with again i'm not assuming that everyone has all the injuries at the same time um, but let's dive into that because the plantar fasciitis is something that a lot of people deal with. I know it can get really tricky. It's not the same for everybody, so I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here. But what can you tell me about that? Because it does seem to be the scourge of a lot of people's running. 
it uh, it's uh, it's one of uh, the other hard one to come back from. But I think the toe extension is kind of falls into both. Like if your toe is stiff, imagine you not being able to. You're supposed to roll off your big toe when you're pushing off the ground. If you don't have that extension, all you're doing is all your muscles kind of like work a lot harder to try to stabilize your foot because you don't have that mobility, and it pulls on the it stresses the fascia because you're almost tightening it. There isn't enough toe roll off. So again, it's kind of the same. It, you'll see the same thing kind of with therapists. It's very common. People with plantar fasciitis, similar like shin splints, usually have calf stiffness, toe stiffness, and weak calves because it's just it's everything that happens. I would say impairments above the problem tend to kind of create problems down the kinetic chain. So they're not they're pretty similar the way you treat them. To be honest, you kind of treat everything the same. I'll say this. At most injuries, lower quarter for a runner will always lead to bad mechanics because there isn't enough hip strength, calf strength, and not enough flexibility in the hip, ankle, and toe. Always. Gotcha. Uh, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. How come running in and of itself doesn't make somebody strong enough to handle more running? I usually use the analogy of your body kind of uses or follows the path of least resistance. You're, we're, our bodies are so good at compensating and trying to get us through a task that you could probably do it successfully for a certain amount of time. So running won't necessarily strengthen anything that's weak. It's just going to strengthen what's strong. And the problem is what we need is strengthening the weak part. So you almost have to force it by force, you know, through exercise and trying to maybe dial in a little bit more on a muscle group but yeah running does not make you i think it helps your endurance and you can get your quads stronger your quads will generally always get strong your your hamstrings might get strong but uh, it won't do that it won't strengthen you it's kind of the same thing when older people they'll say like well i walked for 10 minutes every day i don't know why my legs are weak and you're like because walking doesn't do anything for you so um I wish it were the case that running would do that, but no. I think if, I will say this though, if you run hills and you're on the trails and you're pushing your body up a hill and controlling yourself down a hill, I think that can build strength versus flat running. Because now you're forcing your body to push not only three times your body weight, but now you're doing it on an incline. It's almost like you're doing lunges in that sense. So I feel like you I would be more an exception. You know what? I could believe trail running could make you stronger. Regular running, I don't think so. You have so many other factors and so many of your strong muscles that are going to carry you through that it would be hard for you to to strengthen weak stuff. All right. One common question I get a lot, not only from athletes of mine, but people that I talk to on social media or just conversations I've had with people who have you know recalled how they've gone through a process is when do I call a physical therapist versus just kind of like, all right, I'm not, I'm not a complete idiot here. I've gone through certain things. I've seen physical therapists in the past. I'm familiar with, all right, these are good exercises, right? So if you're talking to somebody who isn't a, isn't completely naive to the situation, has been an athlete for a while, maybe has even seen a physical therapist in the past um, about certain issues. When, where's that line of demarcation with, okay, here are just, you know, basic exercises that we need to do to be a healthy runner versus no, this is something that we need to get checked out. 
I, I would, let me give you the response for how traditionally PT has always worked. So most runners that I see, they've already injured themselves, they're in pain, they come see a therapist. And that's traditional therapy, I think. And that's pretty obvious, right? If you are in pain. Yeah, yes. I think what should happen is people should at least go see a therapist one time a year, right before they start a pretty big training season, just to get assessed. Have someone look at your running gait. Have someone do a full muscle assessment, strength assessment, mobility assessment, so that you know exactly what maybe you're lacking right then and there. Because I think as time, as the years pass, different things get stronger and different things get weaker. You might be good. You might have focused on some stuff and gain flexibility in some areas and lost some in others. So um, ideally, I think people should go, kind of like when you go to a dentist, you go every six months. I think it's something, if you're a pretty active athlete, it's something you should do. The elites do it and they just do it for maintenance, you know? So I think if you have the ability, uh, you know, to go see a therapist once or twice a year, just to kind of maintain, just to give yourself a plan, I think that would, that would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I would... This obviously isn't a scientific percentage, but I would guess that like 99% of people who go see a physical therapist do so for in a reactive way yes. as opposed to yes. a proactive way. Right. So say someone is going to be like, all right, no, I'm going to be proactive, right? Just like I see my general practitioner once a year, I'm going to see a physical therapist once a year to make sure that I'm on top of my stuff and I know what to do, so on and so forth, right? Everything you said makes total sense. So- they're scheduling that appointment and they go to they go to the appointment. Like what was it, what would a physical therapist do in just a general this might even be the right term, like just a general diagnostic visit with someone who's just going in for a checkup, I guess for lack of a better term. What what the therapist should do and All right, what know. would you do? Let's we'll take her out of the abstract. What does <laughs> what does Dr. Mena do when someone walks in? So, and I've had a few people do that. And that's kind of what I do on the weekends too. I honestly, I put them on, first thing I do is I put them on a treadmill and I record them from three views just to look over their gait pattern and be like, this is how you, have you always run? Have you had, and get like an intake of history of prior injuries or aches or pains that they might have had. After you do the gait analysis, that kind of gives me an idea like, oh, they do this. That means this and this is probably stiff. Maybe this and this is not weak. So it just makes me hyper-focus on some areas that might be a point of contention that could, you know, improve. And then you go into looking at their single leg balance, their squat, their single leg squat, their jumping, their single leg, uh, single leg jumping and landing mechanics. That also gives you a clue with, okay, if they get tired over time, what tends to be the mechanism of their movement when they're not really thinking about running. Um, and then I would probably go into full, you know, Assessment of flexibility of their back, hips, knees, ankle, toe, even shoulders. Uh, look at their upper back strength, core strength, hip strength, leg, calf strength, all of it. This is making me nervous just thinking about it. I'm like going through my body like, I would fail that. I would fail that. I would fail that. Single leg squat. Single leg squat, Jess? I love doing that. I love doing that. I'm like, look. But it's funny, too, because it's you should be able to do all these things if you're running so much, Right. You know, I mean, if I you can't. look at... Let me just put it this way. I cannot. <laughs> yeah, it like really blows my mind sometimes when you like look at running scientifically. It's so... I, it's Each time your foot hits the ground, it's 300 plus pounds of weight. It's crazy. That's why we got the super shoes, right? We don't need physical therapists. We got super shoes. 
<laughs> the super shoes are awesome. I think technology has definitely helped with performance and I'm about it. I'm for it. So I am for it as well. We, we wore the same shoes at CIM, the New Balance RC Elite 2, which I'm a fan oh, they're of. they're the best. Especially if you're out there all day like I was. Um, they are super comfortable. The super upper, comfortable. The I've upper had, is amazing for a super shoe. I'm on my third pair. I've tried the Nike Alpha Flies or whatever they're called. I don't know what they're called. No, didn't work for my foot. The only ones that really worked for me were the New Balance RC Elite. I haven't tried the Alpha Fly. The New Balance RC Elite 2, is, it is super comfy. I can imagine an ultra runner loving it if they're on a course that didn't require trail shoes. I just feel like it's an all-day shoe. It's not super explosive. I will say this. I don't know what your experience has been with that shoe, but like for like a, an interval workout, I've done like a downhill 5K in it. I was like, it's not, it's not any faster than like, I have some Skechers shoes, unplated Skechers shoes. I'm like, these are just as fast for like a 5K for me as the RC Elite 2 is, but I feel like the, it's like a wonderful all-day at half marathon, marathon pace shoe. It just is so comfortable. It's it's wonderful. I think I, for me, it's given me a little bit of an oomph. I feel it. I'm like, wow, I'm coming off the ground pretty fast. But I love them. I, 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 they're a great shoe. I promote them. I like it. I've, I recently got the Adidas Adios Pro 2. I tried those. They're really, okay. You know what? I have a weird foot. I have, um, so embarrassing this, but I have a longer second toe. Okay. So my role is a little embarrassing? So many people have that. <laughs> I'm so self Feet are one of the things where I go, oh, I have to look at your feet. Okay. Hmm. That's maybe the one body part I don't like so much. But um, yes, yeah, so the foot, and that actually changes the angle of your like loading response and landing response. So I don't roll off my toe. My big toe, I land off my second toe. So a lot of shoes actually hurt me. Um, and the New Balance, for whatever reason, have not. So I don't know what exactly it is. I don't know if it's a toe box. I don't know if I have no idea. I, I would say the Audios Pro 2, something about the energy rods and like the ball of my foot, it just doesn't quite work. Like I like I'd say I had to run today, 16 mile run. I had to stop twice just to like let my foot relax for a second. Oh right? yeah. like like 90 like 90 seconds, two minutes, just relax. Like, then I get back into it, run another three or four miles. It just started like mile 10. And then it was like, I was able to do it. But like, like I couldn't race in this shoe because I didn't want to be stopping. What, what does it feel like? It just achy or burning or what? It just, it's kind of like if you were to step on like a board that had a nail in it. Oh. It would go, obviously it would go right through your foot, right? It would be a horrible right. situation. Whereas if you were to like step on a board that had like 600 nails in it. Oh. It would the, the 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 force would be dispersed over right. the six hundred nails. Of course. So I feel like the energy rods are super explosive in the foam. I think the Lightstrike Pro foam is pristine. It is like a pogo stick. I absolutely love it. I, it's it is. I, I don't know your experience. I thought the foam was majestic. And the faster I go, the better it is. Like it was. I love that. I love that foam. But I think that because the energy rods are presenting this like point of impact underneath your foot that's so concentrated on that one area as opposed to being dispersed like a carbon plate is, that I think that however I'm landing on that one foot, it's not both feet, it's just one foot, that it's hitting it just right, that it's not it's this, it's not an immediate sensation why the, like that comparison I made isn't isn't completely accurate, but 
oh, after 45 minutes, 50 minutes, that it accumulates some sort of whatever, that it needs to be relieved for two minutes, and then I can get back into it. So it's a great trainer shoe. I think it's absolutely so fast. Like if I was running a 5K, I would choose it in a second over the New Balance, but it does prevent, it does prevent, like, I can't race it, a marathon in it, but it's, it's like super fast. For sure. It's like a pogo stick to test your feet. Oh, I need to try that. Really? That's, yeah, I want to test that out then. That would be kind of cool. Especially, like, I was going, like, this is a great example. It's like, I was, did a pretty, like, a rolling hill route. So, I'm going downhill. So, all of a sudden, like, the force is obviously amplified going downhill. And the foam just, like, is just exploding. (laughs) Because it was an easy run. It was, like, 16 mile easy. So, like, normally, it's just, like, you're just running. And, like, it really wasn't. You know, that, that's not where it was at its best. But when I was going downhill or when I've done intervals in the in that shoe, you notice it immediately. Wow, and it's like, that's insane. So, like, so in, in relation to the New Balance, like they're both awesome shoes and they're both super fast. But if you were going to just compare super shoe to super shoe, I would definitely say that like the Audios Pro 2 is much more speed oriented, whereas the RC Elite 2 is much more accommodating you probably, I feel like maybe you should just test it out and see if you can run 20 miles in those things. I, I can't even run a half marathon in them. <laughs> maybe your foot needs to get used to it. I got strength in my toe. My, well, come on, maybe, toe. Maybe well, it's not my toe. It's like the ball of my foot. It's like, it's, like, it's like a centimeter underneath the ball of my foot, like towards my heel. So it's right where those, because the, the energy rods are supposed to run parallel to your metatarsals, I guess is the idea. Uh, which, if, it, if that's what it does, well, then that's where it's like, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it's banging really hard. I think I tried the first pair of those, and I didn't like it. I got, I ended up hurting my to- my, my little toe because I have a little knob there. It just it was too hard on the med head for me. Okay, so it's Audios Pro 1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, so I haven't tried the Alpha Fly. I do like the New Balance. But after trying these Audios Pro 2, now I'm like, I don't know. Maybe i try the Asics because now I'm like. Yeah, you got to try like, all of them, I feel like. Throw me some shoes, running warehouse. Shoe companies, send this man. Send this man shoes. <laughs> shoe companies, please. We'll do a review. <laughs> there you go. I love it. That's awesome. All right. If someone wants to get a hold of you, learn more about you, what you're up to, where's the best place for them to go? Honestly, Instagram is probably my, if you want to email me, I think you can click on email and I'll directly email to me, but I'm pretty, I'm a normal person. I respond to DMs. I'm not, you know. Well, what's, tell us the handle then. What's what? Oh, yeah. You said Instagram. <laughs> Tempo underscore with underscore Jess. That is me. Come say hi. See what's up. If you want to see some uh, LA groups. Tempo with Jess. And you're killing on Instagram. You're doing awesome things. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was awesome. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, big shout out to the Eugene Marathon. I'm stacking them, stacking the weeks. Four out of the last five have been 50 plus. Keep going, keep going down that road till we get to May 1st and then way past that as well. Thank you so much, Eugene Marathon, for sponsoring this and other episodes of the Rambling Runner podcast. Go check them out at eugenemarathon.com today to learn more about the the marathon, the half, and the 5K. I hope you will join me because we got some live shows coming up in Eugene as well. That'll be really, really fun. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. 
Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.